as I'm sure I've said, probably even last time, that I would um, covet your prayers. That God could open this word. And that I've heard it said that some of the old ministers say that there would not be the taint of the vessel in the message. <clears throat> For a text this morning, we will turn to the 10th chapter of Luke. I will read the 25th through 37th verse. <clears throat> Reading in Jesus' name. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he is departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. Amen. This is, I'm sure, a very well-known parable, probably to all of us. And it is something that it, (coughs) if I would say, it covers so much because it, I believe, covers, perhaps we could say, the salvation of mankind. And it also covers the salvation of each of us individually, which I guess in reality it is impossible to separate the two because without one there isn't the other one. But we are thankful and know that Jesus came to save all of mankind from the very beginning to the last person that is born. That salvation has been made available fully and freely. And yet, for each of us individually, 
that is of absolutely no consequence unless we, by the grace of God, are given to understand and to receive it for our own heart individually. We see that at the beginning of this, there is a lawyer, and he was one of the people that was part of the Jewish, I guess you say hierarchy system at that time. And they were, I guess, by definition, steeped in the law. They understood what the law said and they defined it and they ruled on it. And this man, he uses this law and he tries... It says he did it from a heart that he was trying to tempt Jesus. He says, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? We see that he asked a question that is, I would say, the most important question that each and every person needs to ask for themselves. It is the, I guess, ultimate question for humanity. But as I said, each and every one of us individually, that we would know the answer to this question. It isn't the problem with the question You see that the problem was where his heart was and the motivation of it. And that is so often the problem with people. It isn't that it is even necessarily something that we are doing wrong, perhaps. It is the motivation of of the heart. Where it is coming from. And we would pray and desire that our hearts would be filled and guided and given faith through the Holy Spirit. Because if our actions are guided by our human nature, we can read in many places in the Bible, we see the results of what human nature produces. We can turn right to the beginning and see the results of what human nature produced. We see that the devil came, tempted Eve. Her human nature looked at those things, justified an action that was contrary to what God says, had said. And it produced sin. And we are living with the results of that to this day. We see that, on the other hand, God in His love knew what we were and He, through His Spirit, conceived Christ in Mary and produced, as the result of that, our salvation produced everything that we need 
to be able to answer this question. What shall we do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers him and says, What is written in the law? How readest thou? He knew this man, knew the law. And so he asked him. They had been given that law by Moses. We say God gave it to Moses. This man, he knew the answer to the question. He's answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. It is something that comes directly from what the law God says. It is a right answer. Jesus even acknowledges it. He said, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. And he's not just speaking naturally, he's speaking that you would have eternal life. If we were able to follow that law and do these things, there is salvation in that. And by the... Then what this man answers Jesus, we see that it would almost appear that in his mind, he felt that he perhaps had the ability to to do all these things, that he was able to love the Lord God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, that he was able to do that. And perhaps even his neighbor, but he just wanted to make sure or wanted Jesus to clarify or that he could trap him probably is what he was looking for about who was the neighbor that we would do these things to. It's one thing to do this to God because he's a perfect being. And if we begin to understand what he is, it's pretty hard not to to love him. Not that our human nature has any desire to. And that is the problem with this whole thing. We are sinful human beings and our human nature has no interest in doing these things. It wants to do things to justify ourselves as we see this guy did. It wants to do things that we could perhaps find reason or I'll use the word justification again that yes we are good enough for salvation good enough to to merit going to heaven this man he asks who's our na- his neighbor is it the person living next to us Is it someone who is our friend? We find that each and every person that we deal with, unfortunately, they have that same nature that we find within ourselves. And we can't find perfection in either case. And they do things that annoy us. 
say the least. And we find it pretty hard to love them. Jesus, he doesn't seem to have any problem with this question. He has an answer, and he puts it in the form of a parable. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. As I said, I believe this parable speaks about each of us individually, but it also speaks about mankind. And I believe that we could even look at this going back to the very beginning, and as I already mentioned, Eve. This is what happened to her. She was fell into sin. This is, I believe, speaking of someone who is gone, is going, we would say, from righteousness down to unrighteousness. These two cities that we speak of, and we know that it speaks about in Revelations about that new Jerusalem, which is the bride of Christ, which is the living church. It is that place of perfection, and it is where God, what God made for man before the fall. God looked down on his creation and says, Behold, it was very good. Eve fell into sin and he was, she was stripped of that. And we are still living with the results of that now. The fact that she sinned and Adam sinned. It says... He was wounded and left half dead. God told them that if you eat of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. We know that as soon as even Adam ate it, they didn't fall over dead naturally. They did die. And each and every human being has been given that same curse. But I believe that spiritually, she died. We know that that is what happens. Someone can be living naturally, and spiritually they are dead. It is how it is. It is even how we believe that it is with little infants. God tells us, that everyone was given that light. They were given that life. And I've said this before, but it is, I believe, how it is. If a little baby is born, that Spirit of God is there. And they have natural life. If we do not feed them any food, they're going to die. It's the way it is. We need food or we die. I even, as a natural being, I have the ability to pretty much tell when something dies. We can tell that. 
if that spirit in there is not given that spiritual food to sustain it, to give it life, to feed it, it will in time die. I, in my, what, who I am, what I am, I do not have the ability to say, this is where that point where that soul dies. I don't know that. But I do know, and I would encourage all parents that they would give those children that living word. That the word of God would be important in your lives and in your homes and in your conversations with your children. That that undying portion would be fed and that it would be stained, sustained and given life. There is nothing that is more important. It is a sad thing in reality if someone was to live. Well, we know Methuselah lived, it says, 969 years. We understand from the Bible, it would give us to understand that he was a Christian man, so to speak. He believed in God and his salvation was in Christ Jesus. But if it wasn't, even though he lived that long and then died and that was the end of it, he didn't have that living spirit. It is a very empty life, even that long. We can take that life that's almost unbelievable for us at this time with our lifespans of perhaps a hundred years or perhaps a little more if we are extremely fortunate, and it seems like a long time, almost a thousand years. But compare that to eternity, and it's nothing. We don't even have the ability to comprehend that forever. If someone just lives a little short time here in this world, And yet when they die, they have that spirit living in them. And they are alive forever with God. It is wonderful. And that is why that, as I said, that question that this man asked Christ is so important. What must we do? I believe that is one of the most important things here that Jesus is telling in this parable. Yes, he answers the question that he asks of who is his neighbor, but I think that he is also answering, if I would say, in spite of the law and in spite of human nature, what it is that we must do to be saved and that we would inherit eternal life. This person, which could be each and every one of us, or mankind as a whole, we have been taken from righteousness to unrighteousness because of sin. And we do not, in the weakness of human nature, have the ability to love God with all our heart, or our neighbor as ourselves. 
Our human nature does not have that in it. God knew that. We know that He gave them the law. God didn't give it to them to try to condemn them. It does because they were unable to follow it. I believe He gave it one to allow them to see their complete inability to follow the law of God as people. Two, to give a picture of Christ. And also that there would be a natural example that we could see of how our spiritual walk is through Christ. It says there that by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. I believe that this is giving us a a picture of a man that stands even as this... um, man who is stripped by the thieves. It gives us a picture of that priesthood, that Aaronic priesthood that came from Aaron and the Levitical law that was given. Those things, they have the ability to see what mankind is. We can see what we are through that law. It's very clear. We are stripped and naked. I should back up for a minute here. It says that this man fell among thieves that stripped him of his raiment. If we look in the book of John... Jesus, he speaks, and he he tells, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he, he's speaking of the good shepherd, this is in the 10th chapter of John, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. We see where these thieves and robbers come from. If there is anybody who has claimed to have entered into the kingdom of heaven any other way besides Christ Jesus, they are a thief and a robber. And they strip people of that raiment, that righteousness that is Christ Jesus, and they strip themselves of it. Because they are trying to come up on something on their own. We know, Jesus said, and I didn't read that, I should have kept reading here, it says, um, He that entereth in by the door to the sheepfold, to him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his name. And he says, I am the door. Jesus is the door that we enter into that sheepfold. 
There is no other way, and anybody who tries to tell you it is a thief and a robber. So what is it? How, what is Jesus then? We can't just say, well, there's Jesus, that's the door, go in. We look to this word. Jesus is the word. And he tells us that we are to pre- preach repentance and remission of sins. Those are the things. I believe that it is here even as we see then, it says that a certain Samaritan as he journeyed, he came and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. I believe that this Samaritan that it's speaking of here is Jesus Christ himself. It is the door. And it is that oil and that wine. It is that spirit of God first and foremost that reveals to us. It says we preach repentance That spirit reveals that we need repentance. We see that that Levitical priesthood and that or that priest and that Levite, they they had the ability to see what that man was. That law and that priesthood has the ability to see what mankind is. But they couldn't help him. Because that spirit of God has to reveal. We can preach repentance, but we cannot give the spirit. What does it tell us? It says, godly sorrow produces repentance. We can't produce that in ourselves, let alone in somebody else. What produces that godly sorrow? that results in repentance. Because that is what is necessary, is repentance. Jesus tells us that. It is the first thing that it tells us that after his time in the wilderness where he's tempted, it tells us, and to me it is very important and telling. It says from that time, right after he comes back from that, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then at the end of each of the Gospels, he in greater and greater detail defines, he says that we are to preach what he preached, and then and it says repentance and remission of sins. That is what we're to share with people. We can't produce repentance. But we can preach of the necessity of it. And we can share the light of this word. That that spirit of God would work in a heart and reveal what is there. That this man even, that he could see for himself what kind of trouble he's in. But he's helpless. It is why God sent Christ to this world is because he had compassion for us. 
He knew what we are. It says that he poured in those things. That spirit of God reveals what we are and causes... I mean, what else can it cause in us besides sorrow when we see what we are? We are completely helpless to do anything for God. The best, it says that the best works that we do are as filthy rags before God. God is perfect. I believe that's why it tells us in, in Colossians there, it says that, that we would know how to answer all men. Um, it says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each man. I believe that that is how Christ even is answering this man. He is speaking of the grace of God. We speak about the grace that is available from God. Because without it, we're hooped. It is only because we have a loving and gracious God that that there's repentance is even required or available. And that, well, it's, if I say this, wine, that blood of Christ to cover those sins. We partake even today of the bread and the wine of Christ Jesus. It is a picture of the fullness of Christ and the, and the forgiveness that is available through him. And the blood that paid for our sin. That is what Christ brings. That's what he brought to this man. It is what we can share with people. And it says, And then he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. What is that beast that we are carried on? I believe that, and I don't know if I can turn right to to it, probably maybe. But it's recorded in the Gospels that when Jesus came into um, Jerusalem the last time, he sends two of his disciples out and tells them to um, to go and they will find an ass tied, a colt of an ass, a baby one. And it says, <clears throat> it says, go into a village over against you, in the which at your entering you shall find a colt tied, whereon never a man sat, loose him and bring him hither. And then that's what Jesus rode into Jerusalem. I believe it is that new covenant that comes through Christ, and that is what we are able to ride on, if I say it like that, because we have no ability to even walk. We are wounded. We have no... I guess that's the hard thing to emphasize for our human nature. We are so... Often in this world, we work on a fair scale, a balance, if you put it that way. If we add enough on this side, then it balances out on the other side, and we know that that is how Islam works. Your bad deeds are put on one side, and your good deeds are put on the other, and if they balance or overweigh each other, but there's no way of knowing. How do you know? 
We read in the Bible, and to me it is such a wonderful thing, God talks about a plumb line that he uses. He doesn't use a level or a balance. It's a plumb line where it's directly with God and you're either right or wrong. You're either on this side or this side. And it isn't in our ability to be good enough or add enough good deeds to this side. It is by faith in what Christ has done. And what Christ is still doing. And we read this story and we see, and I believe that this person in the inn is speaking of each and every Christian individually. And the living church collectively. That is what it's speaking of. And the reason that I'm pointing that out right now is because it is very important to see that. Jesus brought that wounded man there. He didn't come there. The church didn't go out and haul him in there. Jesus brought him there. We can't save anybody. We can't save ourselves. We read all those accounts in the beginning of Acts. There's four or five of them. There's Paul's conversion. There's the conversion of the people in Samaria. There's the Ethiopian eunuch. There's Cornelius. Which side of that equation of the person who is coming into faith and the one who is there that God uses to proclaim, I would say, forgiveness and his spirit works through. God is working on both sides. It isn't that Philip, I'll use him in the eunuch, it isn't that Philip decided he's going to go down and, and be in there so that he can preach that eunuch and save him. No, God told Philip to go there. He didn't have a clue what he was doing. He was merely being obedient. God says, go out and stand in the desert. I oftentimes wonder if my mind wouldn't get in the way and I would be like, this is a stupid thing to do. There's nobody here. What on earth am I doing? I would pray that each and every one of us would be obedient enough to listen. We're told to go and stand in the desert. Because we see the result of it. God was working in the heart of that eunuch also. And he brought him to Philip. He brought him there. And I'm not saying that we come to church and and God will bring anyone in the door who we're supposed to talk to. That's not what I'm meaning. We sometimes go to far off places. We have a foreign mission. But it isn't It isn't in their ability to go somewhere that someone's saved. It's that God has been working in a heart there. And he works through his children here. Because that's where his spirit is found. And he brings that word there that it can be believed. That a heart can believe that message. Can believe that gospel message and receive it. That they could be saved. And that spirit could come and dwell in that heart also. It says that he brought him on his own beast. Of course it's his own beast. 
It's the covenant that he set up. It's the covenant that came through Christ. It is his. He did it all. He found this man. He through his spirit revealed to him what he was. He through his blood provided salvation, forgiveness for that sin that stands in the way between God and man. It is why we hold so dear that message that is Christ, that he has given us authorities as his ambassadors to share with people. We would encourage people to believe that message that Jesus brought to this man. That in spite of the sin that you are and do, that all those things, we can believe them forgiven. Why? Because I say it? No. Because God allows us to proclaim His message. We can say that with assurance because we have experienced it for ourselves. That those things are forgiven through the name and blood of Christ. It is that wine that He pours into those wounds. And it is a wonderful thing because it heals those things. That spirit and forgiveness heals the wounds that are caused by sin. It says, on the morrow he departed, and when he, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. <clears throat> what are these two pence that he gives? I think it is important that we would know those things, because this is who we are. Jesus says, here is what you would use to take care of each other, of yourself. What it tells us at the beginning of John. <clears throat> Read it, find it. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I can't turn to it, but it says, it says, oh, here it is. <clears throat> For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That is what it is that God has given us, that Christ has given us to sustain us and to help sustain others. It is that we would speak of the grace of God and the truth of this word and of Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is something that I guess we are limited because we are humans and we are limited because of words. But those two things, grace and truth, we could spend weeks speaking from this place and not begin to cover the fullness of those two words. What the grace of God encompasses and the truth of that. It's what allows us to walk by faith. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we can put our faith securely 
on what Christ has done and believe that he is a gracious God. He is so gracious that he, if we look at this world and we don't have to walk very long or look at the news or see what is happening in our world and how contrary it is to what God says and lays out in his word. It is horrible. God, if if God had my mind and it is how people think, we talk about that if someone, and we hear it in the world, people say, well, God will strike you down for doing that. If God struck down people for doing things, they wouldn't have got past Adam and Eve. It would have been done. We have a gracious God. In spite of how contrary we are, He loves us and offers and offers and offers salvation. He offers the merits of Christ Jesus and say, take them for your own. Yes, you're nothing. You're a sinful being. Trust what Christ has done. It's that simple. We don't have to get better and better and better to become a good Christian and then we can believe that we're good enough. No. We can believe that Christ was good enough. And God says, that can be yours. It's what this word tells us. And I believe that that is the biggest part of this parable that Jesus is speaking of. He is answering that first question. What must we do to inherit eternal life? It's believe and trust and put our faith in the merits of Jesus Christ. And that his blood covers our sin. His blood covers our failures, our doubts. enough. And the truth of it is, is that's all there is to it. Jesus said, which now of these, now, sorry, which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? He asked the man if he can answer his question now. The guy does. He said, And he said, he that showed mercy on him. It was pretty easy to see from that angle who it was that was being a neighbor to the man who was hurt and wounded. Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is Christ Jesus. And we're not to worry about the people around us, who of them deserves to be a neighbor? No, that isn't even a question that comes up. The question is, are we willing to be neighbor to others? That is what the question is. Are we willing to care about others enough to graciously share the truth with them? Jesus said, That's the right answer. Go and do likewise. So 
So who is the neighbor? The neighbor is Christ Jesus. If we have Christ dwelling in our heart, we are to walk as he did. We are to go and do the same thing. We are to care for those who are wounded. We are to care for those and we are to share that message and we are to walk by the leading of the Spirit because it is only through that Spirit that it is revealed to a heart what they are. We know that we can't walk as perfectly as Christ did. We know that He came to provide salvation for us. We don't have to read but one of the end of the gospel messages and we see that salvation is accomplished. He's done it all. We cannot add anything to it. We don't have to do that. That's done. People say all the time that we are to walk as Christ did and use Him as our example. Yes, that's true. But I think that can be a dangerous statement if we do not understand the fullness of what He is saying there. Because we can't do those things. We can't do anything about salvation. I haven't seen too many people that are out um, feeding people with five loaves or seven fishes. I don't see too many people who um, can heal blind people or make people walk. So what is it that we do? Do we say, well, we can't do those things, so we must not be Christians? No. That, it says that Jesus walked obedient to the will of God. Those things were what he was to do to be obedient to what God instructed him. Accomplishing our salvation was him walking obedient to what God instructed. We see that even in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, not my will, but thine be done. That is how we are to walk. Very, and I say simply, but it is very difficult for our human nature to, if I say knuckle under or to give in to the will of God. We are to walk as Christ did in the fact that we are to simply walk obedient to the will of God. And I would pray for each and every one of us that we would give us, that we would be, could be given hearts that are attentive to that will. Hearts that are desiring to seek that will. And the strength when we know that will to do it because it seems to me that oftentimes knowing the will of God isn't necessarily the hardest thing. It's to try and get this human flesh to do it. But once again, he has promised that he, Jesus promises there in John, he said, I will send the comforter to you to lead you and guide you. It's that Holy Spirit. To me, if we were to encapsulate even the definition of a living Christian, it's when that Spirit of God dwells in the heart. And when the Spirit of God dwells there, the fullness of what Christ has done and the fullness of God dwells there too. It is something we can't understand, but it is true and we can believe it. 
and we can put our faith in what Christ has done and put our trust there. In Jesus' name, amen. Does somebody have a song with it? 658. 658.